Welcome to Your Best Riding Life. My name is Linda Goldfarb and I'm your host here every single week. I just, oh, I tell you, I am just loved and highly favored by the Lord to be able to be here and bring experts in the industry to be able to help you as an aspiring writer as a best-selling author to go to that next level, whatever the Lord has in mind for you in your writing arena so that you can experience your best writing life. Every week, we bring in individuals that have something that they can pour into your life that will pour out of your pen or into your keyboard and to enable you and to help you create those uh, or have those creative juices going in your body so that you will excel at your craft. And today is not different from any other week. You're really going to enjoy the guests that I have here with me today. So let me tell you a little bit about Ramona Richards. Ramona is the associate publisher for Ironstream Media, and she's been working in the Christian publishing industry for almost 40 years. She's worked in every aspect of the business, from reading the slush piles to clerking in a bookstore. As an editor, she's worked on trade nonfiction, Bibles, curriculum, Bible reference books, CD-ROMs and DVDs, magazines, and fiction. She's the author of 12 books, including her recent suspense novel, Bearing Daisy Doe. She loves talking to writers and is a frequent speaker at writers' conferences around the country. My friends, welcome our guest today, Ramona Richards. Ramona, it's so good to have you. It's good to be here. I'm very honored. Thank you. Well, I tell you, we're going to have some interesting interesting conversations today because you're an interesting person. Mm -hmm. So we're going to cover a couple different areas here and just really just kind of see, you know, how the Lord leads us in how we want to equip and come alongside the writers that are listening today. Are you good with that? I'm good with it. All right. I'm telling you. So we're talking about conferences and I know that you speak at conferences, you teach at conferences, and you have been in this industry for a while. So why do you like attending writers conferences? And what is it that you take away from talking to writers? Just just take that and run with it. Okay. First of all, writers' conferences are a gathering of my people. Mm. Uh, writing is, uh, and even editing, is by and large a solitary profession. You spend a lot of time behind the keyboard, under your headphones, um, alone, hopefully unbothered by the kids and the dog and the laundry, but not always. Um and writers don't think like the rest of the planet. Mm. We have a mindset that goes at life from an angle. Uh, one of the examples that I use is someone who says, for instance, they go home and the door from the kitchen to the garage is left ajar. Mm. You know, you've got this little crack there. And most people would look at that and go, oh, look, I left the door open. Most writers would look at it and go, who is in my house? <laughs> and why did that door get left open? It's your brain automatically goes somewhere most people don't go. Once upon a time, I was taking a walk with a friend of mine around my neighborhood, and the track went across a little bridge just over a little stream. And we looked down, and there is a sandal, a little girl's white sandal. And I went, wow, look at that sandal. My friend said, oh, somebody's going to get trouble for leaving her shoe behind. And I said, that's evidence of a kidnapping. 
And she looked at me and she said, what? And I said, somebody snatched that little girl and left her shoe behind. You know, that's the beginning of a good mystery because now we got to know why that little girl has been taken and what she was doing on the stream. And after about five minutes, my friend looked at me and said, does your brain look work like this all the time? And I went, doesn't yours? And she said, no. Mm. And I was at a convention in Chicago. Chicago, the big convention center there, they have escalators that go for like three stories. I mean, bottom to top. And you've got this multi-national um, convention going on. And so there's literally thousands of people on these escalators going up, going down. And I'm with a marketing friend of mine. And as we're riding down this slow-moving escalator that's going to take us 15 minutes to get to the bottom, I say, have you noticed that the people attending this convention, it was a book convention, are three basic types. You've got your high-powered sales guys that are really slick-looking and then you've got your librarian teacher types that are kind of more casual and laid back, a little less polish. And then you've got that in between that look like authors or editors, and they're looking a little confused but excited. And she said, uh, no. <laughs> and, and I said, well, look at that lady there. I said, she's got uh, this wonderful uh, silver and gray hair that's in ringlets and it's down her back she's wearing a broomstick skirt do you remember those from the yeah a broomstick skirt which and she's wearing like Birkenstock sandals and this peasant blouse and I said I'm thinking that she's probably married she's got a wedding set on her finger but her hips are a little broad but not she's not fat she's slender but her hips are a little spread so I'm thinking she's a mom and she's got a book bag full of books. And I'm, so she's collecting the giveaway. She's collecting the freebies. And I said, I would lay odds she's a librarian. Mm. And my friend looked at me and she said, do you do this all the time? Do you do this with everybody you meet? And I said, don't you? And she said, no. no. And the rest of the planet doesn't either. So getting together with your fellow writers who look at possibilities when they walk through the Kroger parking lot, who can look at a bumper sticker in the back of the car and go, I want to know that story. These are the mindsets of people who, and writers need to gather together. We need to talk to each other. We need to hang out with our peeps and know that we are not alone, mm -hmm. that our brains are really not that weird. And writers' conferences are also about networking and getting to know the industry. And I've talked to a half dozen people today who've all said, I didn't know all this stuff was out there. And it's true. It's, you don't know that, for instance, as a new writer, you may not know that there are expectations for every genre, mm -hmm. that nonfiction has genre just like fiction does. They all have reader expectations and publisher expectations and that there are people who can help you with this and that there are people that you need to get to know, not only to learn from, but also who can reach out to you mm -hmm. and help you as you grow in your career, who's reliable, who's responsible, because this is an industry like the rest of them that brings in people who just want to make money and who will take your money and leave you stranded with whatever. And so writers' conferences are a good place to learn who's honorable in your business. And so not to, not to be ugly about it, but if you're thinking about going with a publishing company that advertises on late night TV, you might want to mm. think twice about that. Mm. 
Because anyone who's spending that kind of money when it's much easier to reach writers by going to writers' conferences. Um, they have a different agenda. They have a different agenda. Mm -hmm. And so that level exists at writers' conferences. The networking level exists at writers' conferences. The learning level, the getting to know each other, and the socialization because it's really good to be able to hang out and talk to people who just think like you do. And, and what what I really like too is I do like the face to face. The face to face. I I like to watch because yeah, I'm that people watching person as mm -hmm. well. I check out the posturing, I check all of all of this and because my background is very very heavy in personalities, mm -hmm. I can see someone walking in and checking their posture, what they're wearing and every and I can already tell Oh, they're they're a mobilizer. Oh, this yep. is a socializer. Yeah, no test needed. And with that, then I kind of know how to better approach mm -hmm. someone to be able to meet them where they are and carry on the conversation from there. It also is very helpful when we're creating our characters, knowing that this runs true with this personality or this would never happen with this other personality but being able to sit across from someone like yourself, for you to see me and, and when I'm talking about a project, saying this is where my heart is, I would think that your visual take of me would play into, is this person going to be marketable? Is this mm -hmm. person, you know, because your mind is going to go there. A am I right in, in assuming that? Or Oh, no, you're right. Uh, one of the things, uh, about 15 years ago, um, another conference, asked me to develop a workshop on what editors look for in a writer. Mm. Not in a project, but in an author. What we look at when we see you sitting across the table. And I did a top 10 countdown on this. Well, the number one thing, and I went out and I interviewed about 15 or 20 editors and said, what are you looking for in a writer? What do you want? There's some basics, you know, follow guidelines, know your business, that kind of thing. Behave yourself. But the number one thing everyone said is that they're looking for sanity. So when I deliver that workshop, it's usually that number one thing is on a slide. It comes up last and everybody laughs. And they said, you know, everybody at a writer's conference is nervous to sit down. And I said, trust me, I've been doing this for almost 40 years. I know the difference between nervous and crazy. And I have sat down across from crazy. And that's mm. kind of scary. And I said, I do know the difference. We do assess if I like your project first. That's first and foremost. It's all in the story. It's all in the writing. Stephen James wrote, wrote Story Trump Structure. Okay, everybody go buy that book mm -hmm. because it is, it's one of the few books that I have like dog-eared and underlined and everything like that. Story is king. And this is not in fiction, only in fiction. This is also nonfiction because nonfiction has an arc to it, a beginning, middle, and end, just like fiction does. But it, it is along the lines of, okay, your story has grabbed me. I like your story. I like your nonfiction approach. I like your theme, your topic, your outline. Now I'm going to look at you. Mm -hmm. And so it is what's in your eyes. Well, how do you speak? What is your attitude? Are you willing to learn? Are you willing to listen? Because the editorial process, whatever pro book you, kind of book that you write, the editorial process is intimate. Mm -hmm. And it's intimate on um, 
a mental and emotional level that most people are not prepared for when they're new. And, and that is my goal as an editor, any editor's goal, is not to change your voice. It's not to change your message. It's to help you make your book the best it can possibly be. Well, a lot of new writers think you've bought my book, therefore you don't think it needs to be edited. Yeah, mm. no. We buy a book we think has the potential to be great, okay? So the next step is to work toward that greatness. And I know the authors that I've worked with who did not need a serious in-depth edit, I can still count on one hand. Mm. Most people do go through a rather detailed edit with their books. And that can be startling when you get, and it doesn't change no matter how long you've been in this business. Even people like Nicholas Sparks, they get edited. And I've seen some of those edits. The book that I just released yesterday, as a matter of fact, Burying Daisy Doe, which I highly recommend, by the way. (laughs) The first content edit was so in-depth my first thought was, oh, and I've been doing this for a while. I've been on the other side of the desk. But the first edit on it was kind of, uh, okay, all right, I know. I know what this is. I know what to do. Take a deep breath. Put it Mm. away. Mm. Go throw things into the woods. Go beat the fence. And take a deep breath and go look at what she has to say. Mm. And I am now, like, in editorial love with the editor who worked on my book. She's awesome. And I will forever be a supporter of hers. And she improved the book greatly. That's fantastic. And then it went to the copy editor. And then it went to the line editor. And then it went to the proofreader. And then it went to the second proofreader, (laughs) which is the stage at which I found two major mistakes. Mm. And both of which had been in my original manuscript. And then the second proofer came back and said... "Um, we need to work on the time frame a little bit because you've got a child that ages from 4 to 12 in 20 years. Mm. And we'd all missed it. Wow. And wow. so you go back. And that's the purpose from this. Bearing Daisy Doe is a time slip novel. And I had an Excel spreadsheet with every date on it. And because this was a secondary character who passes through a couple of scenes, I completely missed this. Mm. It's that having that second set of eyes. So when I'm listening to someone, I'm listening to their attitude toward their work. Are you passionate? Do you love it? Are you open to listening? Can you hear what I am saying when I ask you questions? What's in your eyes? Mm. I do miss the in-person, this give and take, but be part because I, I really do. I did a blog for the Blue Ridge Mountains Christian Writers Conference on what, do sh- what did we see when I, I sat down across from a young lady and she started crying. And I looked at her and I said, what's wrong? And she says, I don't know what's going on. And I said, why? And she said, well, I've pitched this to seven people and they all want it. And mm. I said, why is this a problem? And she says, I don't know if they're lying to me. Mm. And I said, "Mm, no, they're not lying to you. Nobody requests something they don't think they have a serious interest in. And she said, but I was expecting to get rejected. Everybody says I'm going to get rejected the first time out. And I said, you want to know what they see when you're sitting across from them? And she said, yes. And I said, 
I'm looking at a woman who's completely put together. I said, you're coiffed. You're made up. You're passionate. You're prepared. You have your one sheet. You have your business cards. You understand your craft. I'm looking at someone who knows their area of expertise. You are sitting here with a platform. You have done the work. You've put in the mileage. And I said, that's extremely attractive. Mm. And I said, you have done a journeyman's job of putting this together. Please don't misunderstand that we don't see this from everybody. Mm. And so she was like, oh, okay. So that's one other reason I like to go to writers' conferences to kind of bring this full circle. There's just so many levels working, especially at an in-person conference, that aren't available when you're sending stuff in over the transom. No, that is so true, so true. And I've bought so many books from writers' conferences. I may not buy your first one. I may not buy your second one. But I have contracted any number of authors after having met them and watched them grow as an author. There was one author I contracted. She was on her sixth or seventh book, but I had watched her grow and and build what she wanted to do, and she was focused. And so, yeah, when I was ready to contract her, we, we, we I actually signed her to three books on the outgo. Oh, kind of on the spot. Yeah. On the and, spot. But you've been watching for a length of time. So, folks, don't get, don't get discouraged. Mm-mm. Take the opportunity to be able to meet face-to-face when, it is, when it's able, when, when you can. And if not, don't be afraid. Mm-mm. And it is so true. There's times we're not prepared for success. We're fearful of failure. And the Lord has a plan. So we're going to keep on that. That's, that's excellent. Very, very good. Well, and God's timing is supreme. The book Daisy Doe was uh, first proposed and won its first set of awards in 2006. Wow. And then it was published in 2020. So 2020. I know that it has just been fantastic for you and can't wait to to see what God's going to do with it in 2021 as well. All right. So I have another question for you, Ramona. What do you think is one of the hardest things for writers to do in order to build a writing career? Because I know there's a lot of writers out there and they're like, well, I just want to write this one thing. And then we have others that are, I, I want a series. I'm thinking series or I'm thinking seriously about my writing career. And so what would, what is one of the hardest things for writers to do in order to build that career? Focus. Whoa. Mm -hmm. It's The writer brain, I'm convinced that most writers have a touch of ADD. (laughs) And that is uh, you get distracted from what you need to do. The first focus needs to be on the writing, building your craft, building what you need to do, and deciding what you want to write. Now, there's two parts to this. There's the people who have what I call a one-off. You have a memoir, you have one Bible study in you that you feel God is ready to write. And my advice to people who are in that arena is just write it, do the best you can in terms of building it into um, a publishable book, and go to writers' conferences and start networking. Anyone who wants to build a career, there's two prongs to it. One is the writing and the other is the marketing. And the thing that changed my life and my career was when a former agent of mine told me this. She said, 
Any writer who's looking to build a career needs to remember one thing. You need to spend about 40% of your author time Mm. marketing. Mm. When you are unpublished, you need to spend that time querying, contacting, networking, building your platform. If you're published, then you spend 40% of your time marketing your product, marketing yourself, and continuing to build the platform. But until you make up your mind, you're going to spend a great deal of time selling yourself or your work. You're probably not going to build your career. The myth that exists, and it permeates to this day, is that of the writer who is in the ivory tower, who writes their books, they produce good books, they send them to an editor, the publisher takes over the marketing, and that's the way it works. Mm. And all they do is write. Now, let me destroy that because that's seriously a myth. Mm. It is not times gone by. Those times never existed. Mm. Go watch The Man Who Invented Christmas. Charles Dickens self-published The Christmas Carol. A lot of people don't realize that because he couldn't get anybody interested in it and he wanted it out by that Christmas. Sold out the first print run. Mm. But he spent a great deal of time touring the U.S. and speaking. He was a speaker. He got out. He toured. He did not sit in his little ivory tower and did this thing. He churned out. um, I used to joke with people, I think, that uh, because his first novels were serialized and he got paid by the word, that explains a lot about his prose. But, you know, when you're getting paid by the word, it affects the way you write. You're going to be wordy. You're going to be wordy. (laughs) And... But that he sold to serials, he sold his novels as serials in newspapers because that was the best way to market your books Mm. and get your word out. It's it is an absolute myth that authors never have in the past marketed. They did. They went on book tours. They went on book signings. And if you don't think book signing is a marketing effort, and now book signings are like dodos for most everybody. They're gone. Right. Uh, not only because of the pandemic, but they just stopped having a draw. Thomas Nelson had a top TV personality do a couple of books with them. And the Nelson marketing people tried to tell them, you cannot do a book signing in Manhattan. They were determined to do a book signing in Manhattan. And this was somebody whose television program reached millions of people every day. Nobody showed up for the book signing. Mm. It's Manhattan, middle of the day. Nobody cared. I've done book signings. I've done book signings with best-selling authors, and they had a line for the best-selling author, but the rest of us were sitting around drinking coffee and talking to each other because mm-hmm. that's the way of the past in terms of marketing. So now you look at new ways of marketing. You look at selling. Um, if you're a nonfiction person, you need to look at article. You need to look at blogs. You need to start querying. Cheryl Ray with the Southern Christian Writers Conference once did a workshop when she challenged people who wanted to get into magazine writing to write five queries a day, send out five queries a day. That's 25 a week. 25 a week. 25 a week. But I took that challenge and for a month, I developed three really good magazine article ideas and I made a list and I kept a spreadsheet and I sent out five a day. Mm. Same three ideas, but five different publications for a month. And I sold all three of them. Hmm. Now, that's a lot of queries for one month, but it sold three articles and it paid the rent. So it's it's along the lines of 
stay focused on what you want to achieve. A lot of uh, writers with our distractions, we can't seem to focus on exactly what it is we want to write. Mm. It's hard because we want to do so many things, but it's like pick a path Mm -hmm. and you can walk that path, but you have to focus in I tell people all the time, they come at me and they're like, I want to build a platform, I want to do this, I want to do that. And I said, is your book finished? I'm like, well, no, I thought I had to build a platform first. Yeah, it helps. You can build a platform while you're writing. Mm-hmm. But nobody's going to care about your platform if you don't have a book to sell. Mm-hmm. So make up your mind that you're going to have so many hours every day or so many minutes, so many words, whatever your goal is. But focus and get it done. Okay, this is this is good because it's a segue actually into when you're saying focus and you're saying choose a path. Mm-hmm. So I know that you write both devotionals and novels. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's like two paths. That's two paths. So do you think that uh, such a, and we we're talking the prong, so two-pronged path is the right choice for all writers? Not necessarily. Okay. And here's the, the deep, dirty secret about that two-pronged part of my career is that's two of 12 mm-hmm. um, because I had the magazine articles going and then I was writing science fiction mm-hmm. and I was writing short stories and I was submitting all of this stuff. I have two pseudonyms that are not in use because I made the decision to focus solely on the devotionals and the novels, and it was sort of a fleece thing. And the devotions sold. Mm. They, I was um, on the list for to get a request for devotions from a tough couple of publishers. I contributed to a Bible for single women. I was an anonymous devotional writer for a website because they paid. And occasionally I would have, and my brain works in this way. Devotions have a fictional aspect to them. They have a, they're 250 to 500 words. They have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And they have a format. And they do take a lot of work. But because my brain is wired toward fiction more than anything, devotions came pretty easy to me because they have that aspect to them. Okay. I would never recommend that somebody try to write Bible studies and fiction unless they're somehow connected. Right. And that goes back to the focus question. It really does start to divide where your focus is. And and if you've got a limited amount of time to write, if you've got a limited amount of time that you can market, then you start dividing it. And then you may be spending 40% of your time on marketing, but you're only spending 20% selling and writing devotions. And as of early this year, my agent called me and she said, I need you focused on fiction. I need you to take the devotions off the table. We'll make this work. You have a day job. You don't need the money uh, right now. I could use the money, but I don't have to have the money from the devotions right now. And so it's time for you to focus and really put your your work toward the novels. Okay. And so that's that's where it is. It's Some people can do it. I certainly know people who are full-time writers who can do a two-pronged career, but it becomes very difficult. One writer that I knew who was writing in two different, um, she was writing mainstream fiction. She was also writing Christian fiction. 
she described it as trying to canoe down a stream with one foot and two canoes, with a foot and two canoes. Right. And so you can do it. Right. But you're liable to get wet because it is so unstable. So if you're trying to build a career, even though I have done that, there's a real good possibility that it's delayed Mm. my success in one field or the other. And this is different. This is different than if you are writing in a particular genre Mm -hmm. and you diversify where you place that content. Right. Now, that's different. That is totally different. That is different. Because you're still focusing Mm -hmm. on that one particular path. Right. And but you can put it in a blog, and you can also have articles on it, and that's all part of the marketing. That's process. all part of the marketing process. But yeah. it's it's giving you some streams of income. It's giving you more of an outlet, and you're remaining focused and true to that particular niche, or mm-hmm. you know where where you really are passionate, and where you get your drive. And when you sit down, you go, "Oh, I can't wait to start." Well, and there's some um, there's some new markets that coming around for uh, short fiction. Okay, and they're online mostly. Um, they're they have particular formulas that they want to do, but there's some new outlets, and that's one of those things where publishing is changing by the hour. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's one of the reasons you can't rely on. One of the things I say in my classes is, if anybody gives you an absolute about the publishing industry, they're, run. They're lying. <laughs> Uh, because there are no hard and fast rules. There really aren't. Right, right. And so the, with the, the new changing, one of the things I tell people now, I said, if you have a, um, a mindset for short fiction and you want to do novels, but you still got this mindset, look at something like Wattpad. Mm. Because Wattpad, W-A-T-T-P-A-D.com. And you can see what they're doing there with content creation. You're not going to get paid. But you can start building a database of readers. And it's one of those things that with these new short fiction outlets as well, it's the kind of thing where you can diversify in that way. You're still writing romantic suspense or romance or, you know, even doing more than one genre. You know, if you have written Amish, you could do Amish romantic suspense. So, but it's still the fiction focus. It's right. still in an area where you understand the reader expectations and they know your name. Mm. People have asked me about pseudonyms. Well, J.D. Robb is Nora Roberts. Everyone knows J.D. Robb is Nora Roberts, just like everybody knows who Richard Galbraith is. The point is not to hide who you are. The point is when you pick up a J.D. Robb novel, you know what you're getting as opposed to picking up a Nora Roberts novel. Right. novel. Say so, that Say that three times really yeah, fast. Yeah, okay. really <laughs> <laughs> And also, think about the fact that Richard Galbraith didn't make an appearance until much later in a certain person's career. Mm-hmm. The same thing with J.D. Robb. She didn't start out writing both kinds of novels. Once she built a career doing this, then she opened up her avenues with this. Right. And so if you can focus and you can get a career started, I would very much like Daisy Doe to be a series. Mm. But that's not going to be a series unless the first one sells. Well, I need to focus as much as possible on getting it to be a success before I think about the series. This doesn't mean I'm not over here brainstorming another book for Love Inspired Suspense. It just means that 
I want that book and that series to be a success, so I'm going to put a lot of focus there right now. Excellent. You have given us so much today. You've given us so much. This is fantastic. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Folks, we're going to make sure that uh, there's been quite a few things mentioned that Ramona has shared with us. We'll make sure all of that content is in the show notes and links for you to get where you need to go. And and Ramona, I, I know we had discussed that, that you might have a little giveaway that you'd like to offer to our listeners. So what can they expect to find a link to in the show notes? <laughs> What, what I'll do is I'll produce a PDF of the workshop that uh, was what editors are looking for in an author. And so that'll be available for download. Oh, that that is worth admission already. I mean, that in of itself. This has been fantastic. You've given us so much. And folks, I pray that you hear what Ramona has shared as encouragement to you in your journey, taking writing or looking at writing as a career or even looking at writing as something where you just want to get something down on paper, and maybe it's going to be for you and your family, that all of this is possible. It's just, it is going to take focus. Even if you're just writing one book, it's going to take focus. You've got to have that. Because if you're scattered and splattered, like my husband told me one time, he said, babe, he goes, you have so many things going on, you're kind of splattered. And I said, well, what does splattered look like? And he said, well, think of paint. You throw paint up on a wall. Some of the splotches aren't connected. And if they're not connected, then they're not anchored to the full source of where your power is, your strength is, your passion is. So we don't want to be splattered in our writing. We want to be focused and we want a beautiful picture to come out of it. Ramona, Thank you once again for being here on Your Best Writing Life. I hope you'll come back and join us again. Absolutely. It's good to have it. you. Good to have you. Yeah, right. girl. And I love that we're here at the Blue Ridge Mountains Christian Writers Conference and being able to spend some time face-to-face. It's it's fantastic. Yep. It's, uh, it's different this year. Mm-hmm. It's low-key. It's been interesting to talk to people who've never been here before and interesting to talk to people that this is their third or fourth Last year, they had well over 600 people Mm -hmm. here. The conference was alive and energetic, and people describe it as drinking from a fire hose. You get so much coming at you. You leave exhausted and itchy to write. And this year, it's a little more laid back. You have more time with the faculty. I've I've heard the word intimate. It's more intimate. Yes. And yet, I've talked to people that this is their first conference, and they say, wow, there's a lot going on. And I'm just like... Oh, you should have been here last year. (laughs) But this is the perfect year. This is perfect year. Where we are is exactly where we need to be, and God is so good and gracious and all of that. It's, it's, It's all about remembering that God has you where he wants you. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. And I just want to say thank you to all of you that are tuning in faithfully to Your Best Writing Life. Please take a moment and rate and review our podcast because what you have to say is just as important as what you have to write and we'd love to hear from you and we want to be able to fill you with content that's going to encourage you and lift you up as you are experiencing your best writing life this is linda goldfarb and i look forward to being here with you next time we'll talk to you real soon bye-bye